have told everyone good evening. Erev Tov and good evening. What a wonderful turnout on a very rainy and cold, although by Vancouver standards this is summer, right? But uh, on a rainy and cold and wet uh, evening. We're so, so honored that you're here. I know you didn't come here to hear me. Um, on most evenings you don't come to hear me, but that's okay. Um, but to hear our, uh, our guest speaker and our scholar in residence, Anat Hoffman, who is here with us, and we're so thrilled for that. But permit me and a few others to make a few introductory remarks, and then we'll get, as they say, to the main event. Uh, first, I want to acknowledge some of our partners this evening. We're, we're here tonight in large part to celebrate our award-winning and tremendous Sisterhood of Temple Shalom, Women of Reform Judaism. This year celebrates and marks their 50th year uh, with our congregation, the 51st year of our congregation, and our sisterhood has been part of everything that we do and very much a part of all the good things that we do at our synagogue for 50 years. It feels like even more. They are truly integral to the work that we do here and not only here in, in, in our congregation, but throughout the, the city and really around the world through the Tikkun Olam Gogos program and so many other projects that they're involved with. Tomorrow morning at 7.30 is a minion with Anat Hoffman to celebrate our sisterhood, um, led by uh, Rabbi Brown and Cantor Tausik, and also joined by Rabbi Hannah Dressner from Or Shalom as we celebrate um, the women of our congregation. So I hope you'll come out and be a part of that. I know it's early, but there's a nice little nosh afterwards. So if food draws you, there's that. Uh, I want to also thank particularly Ria Lazar, who was our Arts of Canada representative here. I'm going to invite Ria up in a moment to talk just briefly about Arts of Canada, but um, the other way that we were able to bring Anat in is through our partnership and our membership uh, with Arts of Canada, which is part of the reform movement. You have a card on your, uh, your seat there. Uh, that I'll reference again later on tonight. But what I want you to, that's, that's not the card. This is the card. <laughs> uh, what I'd like you to, uh, to consider is to join ARTSA Canada. Uh, your membership in ARTSA is just $18, but that, uh, that support is not only through your pocket, that pays for some mailings and some things, but really your membership adds to the influence that we have uh, through the World Zionist Organization and beyond uh, Canada in Israel to influence and shape the things that we're going to talk about tonight. But I'll talk about this again uh, at the end. Uh, a thank you to Alexis Rothschild and Risa Devlin, uh, who helped chair this program. Risa, our sisterhood president, and Alexis, who has been dreaming about this for seven years to bring a knot to Vancouver. Uh, we are honored to have uh, uh, Isra Dubinsky and Joan Garrison, the immediate past president and the president of New Israel Fund of Canada, that are here. Joan and Isra, just wave wherever you are. They're in the back over there. <laughs> New Israel Fund of Canada is partnering with us and with Beth Israel Congregation and the Jewish Federation Access Program uh, and uh, the Young uh, Temple Shalom Next Generation for tomorrow night where we're having a similar discussion with our 20s and 30-somethings in Vancouver in our community. And uh, we're very excited uh, about that program. I also want to recognize David Burson, who's here. Where's David? 
David, as you know, wears many, wears many kippot in our community tonight. He's here representing Amenu, which is also a partner in all of our activities, particularly tomorrow night, our Young Professionals Program. Amenu is a progressive organization out of the Labor Zionist movement in Israel, and uh, we are thrilled to partner with David. Um, I want to mention two other people. First, uh, Rochelle Garfinkel, who's just about to walk out the door. Rochelle. Uh, <laughs> Rochelle and our incredible staff in the office have been working diligently. There are six or so events connected with the not being here, each of them with an RSVP, almost all of them with food, except for this one, but that's just a note. Um, and uh, Rochelle, thank you, and to the staff in the office for putting this together. And lastly, I want to mention our immediate past president of Temple Shalom, David Schwartz. Uh, David, who if he stands up, you'll all be able to see, because he's... Um, we began dreaming about having a knot in the congregation, uh, not only with Alexis seven years ago, but soon after I arrived as senior rabbi two years ago. And it was really under David's uh, leadership as president that we were able to secure a grant to help fund this visit, um, as well as the, the, the political and social will to do it. And I want to thank you, David, for partnering with me uh, in doing that. Thank you. So, um, let me please now, at this time, invite Rio Lazar to come up to briefly share some words about Arts of Canada. Arts of Canada is pleased to be one of the sponsors of Annette's visit to Vancouver. ARTSA is the Association of Reform Zionists of North America, the Canadian Reform Zionist Association. It's a volunteer-led congregation that is a member of the World Zionist Organization and gives voice to Canadian Reform Zionists. It is a vital part of our movement because no matter what our political views are, Israel is a central part of our identity. The mandate of ARTSA Canada is twofold. First, to help foster a better understanding of modern Israel and to foster connection between our congregations to Israel. To that end, Arts of Canada sponsors Israeli speaker tours across Canada, like this one, and other educational activities. Arts of Canada leads trips to Israel, supports reformed Jewish summer camps, and provides scholarships for students to study in Israel. Secondly, Arts of Canada supports the development and growth of the reform movement in Israel. Great strides are being made in Israel right now regarding religious pluralism. Until recently, the only options for Jews in Israel were to be orthodox or secular. In recent years, because of the work of Anat and her colleagues at IRAC, the Israel Religious Action Center, and IMPJ, the Israel Movement for Progressive Judaism, there is now more than one way to be Jewish in Israel. And I, I think I'm quoting Anat when I say that, I think. Um, today, 8 to 12% of Israelis call themselves Reformed Jews. There are 45 Reformed congregations in Israel located all over the country. We need to work to support the democracy and to ensure that Israel is a place that embraces Jews of all backgrounds and streams in a pluralistic and egalitarian environment. At a breakfast meeting in Toronto yesterday, Rabbi Gilad Kariv, who is the head of the Israel Movement for Progressive Judaism, stated that the work of IMPJ in Iraq would not be possible without the support of Artsa. He urged us to increase our membership in order to have an even bigger impact on the issues that we're talking about tonight. As a Zionist group, 
our strength comes from our numbers. The more members we have, the louder our voice is in very real ways. For example, at the World Zionist Congress that was just held last month, the number of reformed delegates allowed to vote on resolutions affecting Jews in Israel and around the world was directly determined by the number of members we have. 30% of Canadian delegates came from a coalition of Artsa and other like-minded groups. This had a direct impact on passing of resolutions that affect the daily life of Jews in Israel and around the world. The strength in membership numbers in, in all affiliates from around the world has a direct bearing on the resources and political power that the Israel Reform Movement has at the World Zionist Organization and other government agencies in Israel. Membership is only $18 per person or $36 per family. This will put you on the mailing list for the very informative monthly newsletter and special bulletins that will keep you up to date. Your dues support Israel engagement activities in Canada and support the reform initiatives in Israel. Mostly, your membership strengthens the voice of Reform Judaism in Israel and around the world. Thank you, Ria. Thank you so much. So before we introduce Anand, now I want to speak about the card that's in your, your lap. I had a, a, a teacher in rabbinical school who taught, and with regard to Sadaka, he said, don't ask first, ask after. After they've had the experience, then ask them to write a check for how they feel about the experience. And so this is not a fundraiser tonight. Um, there was no cost to come, although there was certainly a cost to us to bring Anand in all the way from Israel. But we would ask that if you are moved tonight by what you hear, to support Artsa, to support the work that Ria is doing, to support the work that Anat does through Women of the Wall and the Israel Religious Action Center, and to make a donation through this card to either join Artsa or a donation on top of that so that we can continue to do this kind of work and that you can live your passion that will be riled up tonight uh, in one of the many ways that our movement and our tradition gives us, which is through Sadaka. So I'll ask you to write a check for how you feel after this evening. And Rochelle will collect them. And Carol will cash them. So let me please now, uh, again, just briefly, to invite Risa Devlin to come forward to introduce Anat Hoffman and tell you just a few words about our sisterhood. Shalom, everybody. Thank you so much for coming. For those who don't know me, I'm Risa Devlin, the president of Sisterhood. Sisterhood of Temple Shalom, Women of Reformed Judaism, is celebrating its 50th anniversary of our charter from the National Federation of Temple Sisterhoods, now Women of Reformed Judaism. We are proud to co-sponsor this evening as part of our year-long celebration. The women in our congregation have taken on many important tasks over the last 50 years, including leadership and community service, educational opportunities, and ritual affairs. Our sisterhood is part of the larger world community through our affiliation with the international body, Women of Reformed Judaism, WRJ. Since its establishment in 1913, the WRJ has actively developed and participated in many activities with a myriad of groups that help women promote understanding, develop mutual respect, and effectively work together to accomplish mutual goals. Israel is an important part of the work of the Women of Reformed Judaism. Both directly and through the WRJ, our sisterhood supports many programs in Israel with both our voices and financial aid. A few of these organizations are Kibbutz Lotan for the expansion of student housing, the Israel Movement for Progressive Judaism, Mother-Daughter Bat Mitzvah program, which emphasizes gender equality within Judaism, 
the Israeli Religious Action Center, IRAC, which supports advocacy efforts on behalf of religious pluralism, women, and vulnerable populations in Israel, and of course, Women of the Wall, advocating for equal rights for women to one of Judaism's sacred sites. This evening, it is our privilege to have Annette Hoffman, Executive Director of the Israel Action Center and founder of the Women of the Wall here in Vancouver. Born and raised in Israel, Ms. Hoffman also had the opportunity, following her service in the Israel Defense Forces, to live and study in the U.S. While there, she experienced other expressions of religious practice and realized that Judaism was not limited to orthodoxy. Returning to Israel, she became an activist for religious pluralism involved in the founding of the Progressive Synagogue in Jerusalem, Kol Hanashama, and serving on the Jerusalem City Council, representing the Civil Rights and Peace Movement. The Israeli newspaper, Haaretz, named her Person of the Year in 2013, not noting the award reflected the prominence that she has achieved across the Jewish world over the last 12 months. Additionally, the Jerusalem Post listed her fifth among its list of 50 most influential Jews for forcefully and successfully bringing the issue of women's rights at the Kotel to the forefront of the consciousness of world Jewry. Tonight, we are delighted to welcome the Executive Director of the Israel Action Center, Anat Hoffman, to Temple Shalom. First, we'll do a sound check. Can you all hear me? Turn this one up. Okay. So, Shalom, thank you for coming in this rain uh, to meet with me tonight. Uh, I know we pray for it, but when it starts, uh, it was drizzling all day. <laughs> so, so, really, thank you for coming. I very much appreciate it. Uh, my first time in Vancouver. Um, I'd like to make some uh, outrageous, oh, now I can, can you hear now better? I'm going to make some outrageous statements, and when, it's, uh, when it really gets to you, we're going to start having questions, and uh, I would love to respond and have a dialogue with you. And I'm going to have a dialogue with you because uh, I've heard me before, and I'd really like to hear uh, what you have to say. Uh, so I'll start with uh, saying that the whole Zionist endeavor, in my opinion, was worth it just for the resurrection of the Hebrew language. Hebrew is phen phenomenal. I know that some of you had to study Hebrew for your bar mitzvah, and it was rammed down your throat, and you don't have good memories of that. That's a shame, because Hebrew is wiser than the people who speak it. <laughs> Hebrew is delightful and wise and when the Jews had to run away from one place to another, they stashed all their goodies in the language. And people from all over the world come to Israel to learn from us how to resurrect. A, it was dead as a doorknob, and it is very much alive. People curse in Hebrew, people love in Hebrew, people make everything in Hebrew. I want to share with you some new Hebrew words that you might not know. We, unlike you, have on the news. It's usually on a Tuesday. Kol Israel in Israel announces new words that were just invented, invented by the Academy of Hebrew Words and Letters. So a new word that's just been invented. Are there any Israelis here? Okay, is a word for cupcake. Until now, we would go to a store and say, Tell us cupcake, 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 Now there's a new word, 
the new word for cupcake is, could, would you guess what it might be? Something around Uga, right? Ugonit. Say it. Ugonit. Give me Esel Ugoniot. Ugonit, Ugoniot. Isn't that lovely? Beautiful new word. Uh, there's another word that came out last Tuesday, which I don't think is going to stay because it's hard to say. The word is for junk food. Okay, they took the word psolet, garbage, and lizlol, to eat like a pig, and it's zlolet, zlolet, like in the sentence, alachnu lemekdonald, dachalnu arbe zlolet. We went to the, okay, zlolet, but that, it's hard to say, zlolet. Here's another one, very elegant for jet lag. Jet lag is on the mishkal, like sha'elet uh, is a sickness, you know, sickness. Ya'efet uh, is, the word is from ayef is tired. Ya'af is to fly. Ya'efet is that disease you get from flying. Ya'efet. Say, ya'efet. Ya'efet. Uh, but it's, it's, these are just new words that came out now. But I'm thinking of the word geshem. Geshem is rain. Geshem. When you want to say to someone, may all your hopes be fulfilled, you say, may all your tikvot yitgashmu. Yitgashmu is they will become rain. Because in our language, the ultimate fulfillment is when a cloud becomes rain. That is the ultimate fulfillment of anything. So basically we're saying in Hebrew, may you become rain to someone who wants this is lovely, guys, and it goes on. I'm a familiar face in the Academy of Words and Letters. Four years ago, I wrote them that there is a missing word. We need a word for integrity. I got back a letter. I kid you not. Use it in a sentence, please. <laughs> OK, here comes the word for integrity. It is around four years old, yoshra. Yoshra, it comes from straight. Yashar, Yoshra. I saw that it works. I wrote them another letter. I want a word for accountability. <laughs> and I used it in a sentence. <laughs> this is a hard word. It's about a year old. You spit when you say it. There's just no other way to say it. Very hard and guttural. And no wonder people are not saying it very often. Achrayutiyut. <laughs> Come on. Achrayutiyut. Okay. Now I wrote them a letter. Pluralism. In Hebrew, pluralism is pluralism. We don't have a word for pluralism. But wait a minute. We're almost 68 years old. And listen to this. Integrity is four years old. Accountability is one year old. And pluralism is yet at large. Isn't something missing in the Jewish state? Aren't there some? There's a lot of work for me to do. So I, I travel the, around with the, being the director of Iraq. Not an easy title for a, I get searched in the airport every time. Um, and I think that these are not just mere words that are missing. What's missing is some of these concepts in our day-to-day -day life. And I'm very grateful that I had an American education due to the fact that I failed high school in Israel and couldn't get to any Israeli high school. But I was an uh, Israel swimming champion. And I uh, uh, sent UCLA, my times in the 100 and 200 freestyle. 
and the 200-400 medley. I have an American education and also worked on my accent in the language lab. I could have had a southern drawl or a Bostonian accent. I chose California, and uh, if you give me a beer, trust me, you will know that it is an effort. With, with the beer, I can't do it, and the Israeli accent comes back. So it's possible. Um, so one of the things I learned in America, which is so shocking, is that there is another way to be Jewish. How could I be a daughter of a, you know, the state of Israel, maybe not a good high school student, but I did go through the whole education bit, and I didn't know a lot about Judaism, didn't like the stuff, and I had to go to America to find out about it. Um, I ran into the rabbi of uh, UCLA. He, um, he said, aren't you the champion from Israel? I said, yes. And he said, well, did you ever blow shofar? You must have very developed lungs. <laughs> I said, yeah. He gave me a shofar. I, I blew on it. I know it sounds kinky, but it squeaked a little bit. And he told me I'm a real talent. <laughs> and then he gave me a book. The book, Days of Awe, that he gave me to read in order to prepare myself to blow shofar for the Westwood Free Minion at UCLA. That book was written in Jerusalem by someone I know, and I know his daughter, and I know his grandson. Actually, I went with him to school. It's Yosef Shmuel Agnon that won the Nobel Prize in Literature. So uh, the reason I know him is that when my mother, the first daughter of Kibbutz Ramat Rachel, was born, my grandparents wanted to call her Rosa. And it was Agnon who came from the, the kibbutz is very close to where he lived. And he said, Rosa Ivrit, Rosa is not Hebrew. And he named her Varda. My mother is the first Varda in Israel. <laughs> okay? So I should know the guy. Never read his book because it's Jewish stuff and I don't read Jewish stuff. I am surprised that there are Israelis here. It's usually a story around an Israeli that makes it here. There are Israelis in Vancouver, and there ain't in this synagogue. A bulldozer won't get them to synagogue. Did you ever wonder about, let's see a show of hands. Did you have business or talk to an Israeli in the last 10 days in this region? Where are they, huh? Huh? Where are they? Why, what happened to them in Israel that inoculated them against the stuff? How come they don't come here? I know what happened in Israel that inoculated against this stuff, is that there's just one product on the shelf in Israel. It's orthodoxy. Only the government recognizes orthodoxy as the only legitimate expression of Judaism in the state of Israel. Only orthodox rabbis are called rabbis. Only orthodox institutions can ordain rabbis. And the result is that it's either the beard or nothing. And uh, I know it's surprising to you because you buy a ticket to Israel and you think you're going to the club made of the Jewish soul, the Disneyland of the Jews. And I'm saying to you that it was when I came to America that I realized that here, and I'm also a five years <clears throat> member of Camp George in Canada, there was more Jewish innovation there than we have in Israel. That is a shame. <laughs> and uh, one of the things I would like to urge you to do is to take a stand on this issue. It is not right that in Israel we have only one kind of Judaism. And it's important that uh, we, liberal Jews, who are the largest stream of Judaism in the world, wake up.
we are bigger than the Orthodox and conservative put together. Did you know that? No. Yes, we're big. Well, let's feel comfortable to also say our piece at the, at the State of Israel. And one of the things that is very important to us is the rights of women, because women are half the Jewish people, and our movement really believes in equality. We have women rabbis, women cantors. I know that in your Sunday school, kids are asking, can boys be rabbis? Is it, can boys be cantors? Okay, so um, the name of my talk today was from the back of the bus to the top of the agenda, and I wanted to tell you about the struggle of the Israel Religious Action Center, which is the legal and political arm of the reform movement, to represent orthodox women in their weight from moving from the back of the bus to the top of the agenda. This is not a trivial thing. I am up to my ears in orthodox clients. I represent orthodox women. They call us on a special hotline. They have a special accent on the phone. Baruch Hashem sheyesh reformim. Thank God there are reform. And they are complaining to us and basically saying, save us from our rabbis. I want to tell you about my woman of the year for 2015, Rosie Davidian. Rosie Davidian is from a, a little moshav, uh, like a kibbutz, but not, uh, next to Netivot. The place she's from is Patish, which means hammer. I don't know, there may be 50 families in this little place. It really is the armpit of the Negev, and the Negev is, you know. Uh, for those who don't know, Israel, if you divide Israel right in the half, okay, 6% of the population lives in one half, 94% in the other half. So they're in the 6%, yes? Down there. So, Rosie Davidians is one of eight brothers and sisters. Her father died after a long illness from brain, a brain tumor, and she is the writer in the family, and she wrote a eulogy to eulogize her dad. When they came to the uh, Nativote Cemetery, because Patish is so small, they don't he even have a cemetery, uh, the rabbi of Nativote told her that she can't read the eulogy. Her brother should read her eulogy. Her brother said, I can't read her handwriting. And besides, she wrote it, and she should read it. The rabbi refused to allow her to have the microphone. There was a partition in the, in the, in the cemetery, women on one side, men on the other. He refused to allow the microphone on the women's side. And she sobbed and cried, and her family asked, and uh, the rabbi would not budge. And only the uh, rabbi eulogized her dad. The rabbi didn't know her dad, and the deputy director, uh, deputy mayor of Netivot. But she did not say her piece. And she called us on the hotline. And I said, why don't you come to Jerusalem and we'll meet you? I know this is going to be hard for you to believe, but Rosie Davidian, at age 32, never visited Jerusalem. Uh, we sent her uh, the money to come to Jerusalem. Maybe I should mention, Patish is a very poor place. And uh, she is orthodox, but she came with uh, very long white boots, tight jeans. I don't think you would have recognized her as orthodox, but she is. And she said that the partition in the, uh, in the cemetery didn't bother her, but not reading her eulogy, that really bugged her. And I asked her if she's ready to come with me to the Knesset and speak to the Knesset Commission, Committee on Women. F 
first time Rosie Davidian went to the Knesset. <laughs> she comes to the Knesset and she left no eye dry. She she told what happened. She said what a missed opportunity it was. She said that for the two years of his illness, she, she wrote this text, and it ha was so important for her to say it. It was written in the first uh, form, saying, Dad, I'm talking to you. you know, and you can't say it outside this, this funeral. Um, this was very stirring, and the Minister of Interior and the Minister of Religion both felt that there's something wrong in what happened to Rosie Davidian. The next day, she's still in Jerusalem for the first time, uh, I took her to the radio station. She was on Rino Tzor, to those who listen and know, with a radio program on Thursday, one and a half million listeners. And Rino, without uh, uh, beating around the bush, American idiom, uh, he said, Rosie, would you please, please read your eulogy right now? And a million and a half Israelis read, uh, heard her read it. And she read it like no other person could read. And the result is a change in the policy on cemeteries in Israel. It is no longer legal to have a partition. Uh, and um, maybe th those of you who know me, I regularly sue the Israeli government. We sue the government 60 times a year. That's more than once a week. <laughs> Yes, don't call us, we'll sue you. <laughs> and we advised the Rosie to sue the uh, burial society of Netivot and the rabbi of Netivot. She won the highest award in small claims court in Israel for 2015, the whole 50,000 shekel, that's the maximum you can ask for because of her missed eulogy at the cemetery and as a result all cemeteries now are completely equal there's no none of this nonsense continues and uh, she's my woman of the year um, when the first segregated buses started uh, 10 years ago I was asleep at the wheel so to speak I thought that if the ultra-Orthodox want in their own ultra-Orthodox neighborhoods, like Masharim that you must have heard of, to travel where women are in the back and men are in the front, eh, it's the same in Muncie, New York. Under, we, we, are toler, we are tolerant people. We believe in multiculturalism. I felt that that's all right. It was only when the hotline started ringing and ultra-Orthodox women started calling and saying, why do you put it, let, why do you believe that? This is a terrible thing. I'm a mother of five. I have to board in the back door with the five children in the baby carriage. My husband, like a king, he's in the front door of the bus. And then the children start trafficking inside the bus. They're walking to dad, from mom, from dad to mom. An apple goes rolling. It's crazy. This is not right. So once we started listening to the women, we realized it's the rabbis that are saying that segregation is a good thing. It's not the women who want it. So we, what did we do? We sued the government. We sued the Minister of Transportation, 26 Orthodox women, very brave women. Uh, the name of the case is Reagan versus the State of Israel. Naomi Reagan is an Orthodox novelist. We sued the government of Israel. 
Um, the Minister of Transportation, whom we sued personally, Israel Katz, said that he can't decide on this issue, multiculturalism. He needs to form a committee. A committee. The committee heard 1,500 witnesses. <coughs> Uh, 1,499 were Orthodox. They came in saying, okay, the fact that they said that it's a special atmosphere in the back of the bus when women sit in the back, okay. They said the girls are safer sitting with the women in the back, okay. They said it's like a coffee clutch, it's like a different atmosphere, <laughs> it's wonderful, we like it, uh, okay. But when they brought an expert that said there are less accidents in buses where women aren't sitting in the back of the bus, and another expert who said less punctured tires in buses that have segregation, okay, the twilight zone. I came in with one thing in my hand, a bus ticket. The bus ticket in Israel is six shekel 90. It should be 15. It is not 15 because the minister subsidizes every bus ticket. Every ultra-Orthodox family, on average, uses the buses 25 times a day. The reason they can use the buses is because it is so heavily subsidized. My point was, as long as the government subsidizes every ticket, the government cannot be segregating women and putting them in the back of the bus. And that is what the commission accepted as their final resolution. You think it's good. No, the minister refused to accept the recommendations of the commission that he himself appointed. Ah, we had to sue him for contempt of court. Yeah, after we sued him, he was forced to hang in every Israeli bus, every Israeli bus, a sign that says people can sit anywhere they want. Anyone harassing a person about their seating arrangement is guilty of a crime. Once the signs were in every Israeli bus, we discovered that Israelis don't adhere to signs very well. <laughs> the sign was hanging, and they were still pushing women to the back of the bus. What did we do? We sued 13 bus drivers by women who said, turned to the bus driver and said, I want to sit in the front and I'm being harassed. And the bus driver said, I'm driving, I'm from the UN, I can't deal with uh, harassments in the back of the bus. We won 13 out of 13, 8 to 12,000 shekel in damages for every one of these women. And we've learned that bus drivers do speak to each other. How? Listen to what happened to me. I had to pay 12,000 shekel because I didn't stand up for a woman at the bus. In my case, the bus driver said to the judge, I didn't say segregated. I told her men in the, back, men in the, in the front, women in the back. <laughs> so uh, after the lawsuits, uh, there was a dramatic drop in the number of uh, segregated rides. We still invite you to come to Israel, and we will take you on a, on a freedom ride on one of the bus lines where you can sit in the front, and if you are harassed, your trip from Canada is paid for by the <laughs> bus driver. Now we're interested in the issue, uh, you see, the same applies to El Al. If you've, raise your hand if you heard about a woman going to an El Al plane and having to move because an ultra-Orthodox man refused to, <gasps> delicious. Okay, please, uh, this is a sign-up sheet for those of you who want to get uh, every week an, uh, 
a little newsletter from me. But uh, please, if you know of any of this, uh, if you have a story that includes the flight attendant, I'm looking for, here's the perfect story. I want a woman who traveled to Israel and the flight attendant either asked you to move or the flight attendant did not help you when everyone in the plane was pressuring you to get out of your seat because we want to we take off and because you're, you can't change your gender for this flight, you are being an obstacle. Okay, so um, this is to sign up. I, raise your hand if you get my newsletter. Whoa, okay, is it any good? Yes. Okay, so good. So those who don't, you should get, a, you should get on. Uh, there's a, a radio station in Israel called Kol Barama, 102.5 on the FM dial, that doesn't allow women to speak. It is an ultra-Orthodox radio station, a frequency. The frequency, like the bus, like the plane, is owned by the government. That's why we can sue. You understand? If there was a private company that is owned privately, they can, as far as I'm concerned, say no, no clients on the bus at all. But if you are the government, you have to be fair. Anyway, 102.5 does not allow women to speak. Kol barama. In the morning, they have exercise after birth. A man is giving it. Harmony <laughs> of a home, a, a early childhood development, recipe of the day, everything is done by a man. If a woman wants to send a recipe to their, store, to their uh, radio station, she has to send a fax, and she has to put only the first letter of her first name. You see, the name Sarah will turn someone on. So just it's S. Rabinowitz. And then they will say, this is the winning recipe of S. Rabinowitz. When they have a direct feed from the Knesset, they have a beeping sound when a woman is speaking. They don't allow women to speak. They only accept faxes. Okay, we sued the Kol Barama, a class action suit for 104 million shekel. And here's something lovely we did with the judge I want to share with you. Here sits the judge, a woman, by the way, Rina Matzliach, very important judge in the district court in Jerusalem. And uh, here is the head of Kol Barama, head of the radio station. And I turned to him and I said, look, um, we're going to be asking you questions, but you're going to be writing the answers, and I'll be reading them out loud. <laughs> Why do I need to write them down? I can speak. I said, no, no, sir. We're going to be conducting it differently this time. You're going to just write down your answers because I'll be speaking for you. And he didn't get it. <laughs> but the judge did get it. She was rolling in her bed. She was very funny. So uh, we didn't even make it to the second discussion on the, in court because uh, we know now that Kol Barama is hiring women and uh, women are speaking now on this radio station. And in fact, I heard before I came here, I heard them, uh, they don't say things that I believe in, but they do say it. They spoke about the question, why did Miriam play the tambourine when we were crossing the Red Sea? Do you remember when we were crossing the Red Sea, tambourine? Why did she use a tambourine? Why? Why does a woman in Kol Barama explain this? She's explaining this in the morning program. 
She was a tzedeket, she was a righteous woman, and she knew that the women were singing, and the men should not hear the women singing. So she, to drown their voices, there she was playing the tambourine. You understand? That's why. So I'm not saying it's my kind of station, but she, she, was, she was speaking on the radio. So uh, what slowly started happening in these 10 years is that the Attorney General of Israel started being tired of all our lawsuits and wrote the quintessential binding document that says that no government agency in any way can discriminate against women in the public sphere for religious reasons. And once this passed, it's now, what can I say, boring. We're just, we don't have a, a, enough material to publish a report this year. Uh, every year we used to publish a report called Excluded for God's Sake, but the, there's just not enough material for a report. So one could actually say that uh, this phenomena that was really growing up dramatically is on its way out. Um, here's a, I'm gonna, there's still, here are the three issues we're still working on, because we have still, I need someone with a booming voice of God, it could be a woman or a man, you're wonderful. Okay, so this is, I would like you to read this, uh, ah, no, he's right, there's Mitzvah, booming voice, you need a microphone. This is the sign, as it's hanging in Beit Shemesh, read slow. Request and demand. Women waiting for their husbands are asked to wait only in hidden places, <laughs> like behind the white pickup truck, etc. Don't stand near the synagogue's entrance. Don't be a distraction or a stumbling block to men praying or studying in the study hall, God forbid. You can keep it, you can keep it. <laughs> Thank you, God. Um, so this uh, sign is uh, offensive to women, and we asked the uh, mayor of Bechemish to take it down. Uh, there is a white pickup truck without wheels. It's standing right next to the synagogue. And uh, he refused, and we sued him. Four women from Bechemish sued him. They each got 15,000 shekel from the uh, mayor and uh, he still refuses to take down the sign, and now we have 92 women on the list to sue the mayor of Bechemish, so it's either the city of Bechemish goes bankrupt or the sign goes off, but this sign is on its way out, and so are the quaint signs you remember from Mayor Sharim. Remember the signs? You're entering our neighborhood, please dress modestly. These are on their way out, so the signs are, because they're in country, contrary to the attorney general's uh, uh, keeping the public sphere clean from segregation. The issue with the army, we still have issues with the army, that religious soldiers refuse to stay in a, an event if women are singing Hatikva. The army is very strong on this issue. Uh, five candidates for uh, officers course were kicked off the course because they refused to stay in the hall when women were singing Hatikva. You can't be more forceful than that. The chief of staff himself 
uh, asked, uh, um, asked for them to be taken out of the course. Because in this man's army, women and men wearing uniform will be singing Hatikva, and you will not leave if a woman is singing Hatikva. That's important. I want to give you a little inkling of why, why this is done. Uh, I was suing a, um, a Petah Tikva department of uh, Torah, Torah, exp Torah learning. They had a uh, day of a seminar about how to fill forms on Torah learning. And the men were asked to sit in the front, and the women were sitting in the back. And uh, some pnina, a clerk in the Petah Tikva municipality, I wrote a very um, forceful letter to the mayor that she was, I got a, uh, re uh, someone called me, that she is enforcing, it was enforcing this, pushing women to sit in the back, men sit in the front. And she called me. And she said, you wrote such an awful letter about me and this lawsuit. I'm, I believe in you. I support you. I want you. I said, so why did you do that? And she said, let me tell you how it happened. It was morning. I was setting up the chairs for the seminar. And as I was doing it, Shmuel from accounting came from downstairs with a beard. And he said, I can't participate, Penina, if I have to sit with, mingled with women. I can't do it. What would it, would it be hard for you if you let men sit in the front? Be a tolerant person. <laughs> be considerate of my needs. Otherwise, I can't participate. And she said, so that's, I couldn't have Shmuel not participate. And that's why I enforced the law. And it's very, um, it's sad. I had to tell her, you know, being tolerant doesn't mean that you tolerate the intolerable. You should have said to Shmuel, if you can't sit with women, you cannot attend this seminar. That's what you had to say. So just a few more words about Women of the Wall, and then I really want to hear from you. The Women of the Wall are now gearing up to our next uh, campaign, and it has to do with Hanukkah. You know that it's Hanukkah in a few days, and Rabbi Shmuel Rabinovich, chairperson of the Western World Heritage Foundation, a man who receives a million shekel a year of a salary, and also spends between 50 and 100 million shekel of the prime minister's office tax money, he is going to ask his custodian to place the menorah of Israel at the wall. And where is he going to put it? He's going to put it in the men's section. And what would that mean? that only men for the 48th year in Israel's history will be lighting Hanukkah candles. I was there last year behind the partition and I heard in the loudspeaker how the state controller, Weinstein, is lighting the Hanukkah candle. I read him the next day, I said, did you know that we were 300 women behind the partition? We couldn't even see the candle. And he wrote back, you know, when the rabbi invited me, I didn't know that it would be in the men's section. I'm sorry. Ha. Okay. So we're going to be demanding from everyone that we know the rabbi will be asking, the chief of staff, the mayor of Jerusalem, the prime minister of Israel, we'll be asking them to boycott the Hanukkah of Israel unless women have another one at the women's section or moving it 
to the back of the wall where men and women alike can light the Hanukkah. The president of the Israeli Supreme Court, Miriam Naor, cannot light a Hanukkah candle. She can be president of the Supreme Court, she can't light a Hanukkah candle. Where? Okay, so <laughs> sign up and go onto the Facebook of Women of the Wall because uh, that's where the campaign is at and I'd like you to participate. And uh, if I'm talking about Women of the Wall, I'll be wearing the Women of the Wall talit. This is a, um, the Four Mothers talit. You think I'm a social activist. I really am a shmata salesperson. <laughs> Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah, they are for sale. And there are some of them on the table outside. And if they're, they come with a kippah, see? And uh, if you have a bat mitzvah girl, or you yourself want to treat yourself, they're, they're, they're the way women of the wall support themselves. Half of the proceeds go to women of the wall, and half go to uh, the man who's, who makes them for us for the last 20 some odd years. He's the only male who's an honorary woman of the wall, <laughs> and uh, he's been doing this for us. Women of the Wall actually broke a few partitions. First, the partition between ourselves. I don't know if you're aware, but Women of the Wall are orthodox, conservative, and reform together. And uh, it's the only board I know in Israel of all the denominations together. We wrote a sidur. This is a sidur for Rosh Chodesh. The only one, I think, in the world written by all three dominant. We fought ev on every word for six years, but this is a document that we all read together. And we broke the partition between us and diaspora Jews. So clear that you guys care about women of the wall, and to the point that Netanyahu actually got a uh, report by Yaakov Amidor, his special emissary, called women of the wall as a strategic threat to Israeli, no, as a strategic threat to Israeli interests in North America. <laughs> yes. So this happened because you were asking Netanyahu about the women of the wall till he had enough. Ask me about Iran. Ask me about the conflict. What about women of the wall? Don't ask. Very important that you keep asking. So, um, so, so we broke the partition between us and our sisters and brothers abroad. And the last partition we just broke is between us and men, to the point that there are 100 men that come every new month to join the women of the wall. They stand right behind us in the women's section. And that bothered the rabbi so much that he built a moat <laughs> between the women's section and the back so the men could not be so close to us. Ay, ay, ay. We won a very important case a year and a half ago that allows us to wear talitot at the wall, sing out loud at the wall, put on phylacteries at the wall, and read Torah. We're allowed to read Torah, but the rabbi does not allow us to have the object from which to read the Torah. We're not allowed to bring the Torah in, and he refuses to give us one of the hundred Torah scrolls for public use. This is outrageous. That means we cannot have a bat mitzvah there. That should be very troubling to all of us. We found ways to sneak the Torah in. I don't want to play sneaking games. I own the, the Torah. I, it's mine as well as, as everybody else's. So that's our, the final thing we need to fight for is to have a Torah at the Western Wall for women. And uh, I think we can see already that we may win that. 
Okay, enough for me. Now let's hear some comments and questions. Rabbi, thank you so much. You know people here. Thank you, Anna. So we'll, uh, we'll take some time for questions. If you have one, please raise your hand. Ria. Um, Annette, I just wondered if you could comment about um, what Netanyahu said the other day at... Um, GA. Yeah. Yes. You know, you know so Prime I'm Minister Netanyahu said to a cheering crowd at the GA conference, uh, next to him was sitting uh, Natan Sharansky, head of the Jewish agency. He said, I want Israel to be a home for every Jew, Orthodox, Reform, and Conservative. I'm going to match budgets that the Jewish agency gives to the movements. I'm going to match them with government budgets. And I'm going to find a solution for the issue of the women of the world. The world will be a place of unity and not a place of contention. Okay, he said it. The thing about my prime minister is that very few people believe him in the world anymore when he says it something because he said he believes in a two-state solution and he said he believes in peace and an initiative and, and he's not doing. You know, the doing part is sometimes lacking. And uh, there was an immediate response in the government of Israel. His coalition members, the ultra-Orthodox, immediately said, he should come home and say that in our government. Yeah, he forgot. He spoke in English. He forgot what's, what's what. We're going to hold him up to his word. Uh, but clearly, the fact that he had to say it at the GA means that he realizes that this is something he must say. And that means that your pressure works. You see, the reason I'm so interested in you signing up, God, you need to sign. Sign up? Ah, no. Sign up uh, to go into the news, because I'm going to put you to work every few weeks, and you're going to sign petitions and sign letters. And when I walk into a minister's office, and he says, do you know any emails I got on this? And I say, yeah, you got 18,000 emails. That's very important. And I wish I didn't have just 30,000 readers. I wish I had 300,000 readers. I wish I had all of you as readers that I could actually put to work. Israel is way too important to be left to Israelis. <laughs> okay. It sounds like you're saying the key problem comes from the strength of the Orthodox. Okay. And. Um, I just wonder, given that so many Israelis are secular, how does the Orthodox retain such strength? Uh, the question was, you think you are saying that the problem is the power of the Orthodox. It's like saying that gun control laws in America are a function of uh, the power of the NRA. It's, they are a small, focused, well-financed lobby of a minority. The problem is not them. The fact that an ultra-Orthodox rabbi wants to be God, I can understand. Most rabbis want that. <laughs> no, I can understand that. The problem is the weakness of the, the Israeli secular politicians who are willing to take the keys to the holiest site of the Jewish people and just hand it to them. To take the keys to Judaism and just hand it to him. That's the problem, the weakness of the secular Israeli. That in the end, when he thinks religion, 
He's thinking about that thing that he doesn't really consume. Look at the ignorance of Israelis about Judaism. I, am, I can't be surprised anymore. If you ask an Israeli educated person, what does Shavuot mean to you? And you get an answer of a kindergarten kid. Oh, Shavuot, they eat cheese. Ah, that's Shavuot for you? It's the Torah giving. What is your Torah? It doesn't have to be the, the one in the, in the ark. But what is your Torah? Who gave you Torah? What is the Torah you live by? That has to do something with Shavuot? I thought it was just to eat cheese. <laughs> why, is, why did the Israeli education of Judaism end in kindergarten? Because the parents of the secular Israeli will shoot on sight any beard that comes into the, to, into the school, right? He will, they won't allow the ultra-Orthodox to teach Judaism because they won't just teach Judaism. They'll also say, your mother is a lawyer. What kind of a profession is that for a woman? You know, other things, right? You observe Shabbat. You don't observe. You write on Shabbat. So the parents will not allow an Orthodox person to go into the school and teach Judaism. The Ministry of Education does not recognize a reform rabbi as a rabbi. So he can't go in and teach Judaism. And the result, ignorance. We have going and speak Hebrew in Israel. <laughs> to the contrary, we are allowing almost a quarter of our student body to be unemployable adults. You know who I'm talking about? The ultra-Orthodox boys in yeshivot study just Torah and Talmud. They don't study English, science, life skills, civics, nothing. I uh, am regularly in touch with a group of uh, ultra-Orthodox boys who left ultra-Orthodoxy. I sat with one of them and taught him how to count in English to 100 and also how to multiply. First, multiplication he thought was a divine concept. At age 22, he's learning to multiply. By the way, to add, he writes like this, not like this like this, the additional sign. Because in yeshiva, you're not allowed to draw this. Ah, like this, okay? The next day, he can multiply in English to 100. I say, when did this happen? He said, I'm ignorant, not stupid. <laughs> and he's right, he's not stupid. He's very, very smart, but so ignorant, unbelievable. Uh, at government expense, this boy is studying till any age, up to 80, till, you know, in yeshiva, and not uh, having to, in, without English, he doesn't know what the enter button looks like. He can't operate a computer. His phone is a kosher phone. So, uh, how is that relating to the issue of women? Because the boys are obliged to study only Torah. The girls are not. So the girls, the ultra-Orthodox girls, do study English and science and life skills, and they are the breadwinners. So what happens in the ultra-Orthodox family? When a kid wants to know what a mortgage is or how to write a check, you turn to mom. Like in all our families, mom knows everything. Mom knows everything because mom is in the world. Dad, dad, you turn to if you want to know what would happen to a a goat who's pushed into the sea by an oxen and pushed into the ocean by a whale and where's the Tchum Shabbat? Or what happens if a slave falls on a bris that happens on a Shabbos in the hot water? Can you reheat the water? These are questions that don't come often, but uh, you ask, you ask them. This, this brought about 
the lowering of the status of the ultra-Orthodox man in his own family and the elevation of his woman, that concerned the rabbis very, very much. And that is why in the land of Golda Meir and the land of the combat soldier, we've had these 10 years of modesty obsession. You think you're so smart, you sit in the back of the bus. You think you're so clever, you don't talk on the radio. You see how it's connected? It was the way of the, of the rabbi establishment to deal with the issue of the unemployability of their own people. Is that too complex to explain? We'll take just a couple more questions, I know. She's the boss, man, yes. Hi, I'm Kelly. Um, I just have a quick question, and it is, how do you keep your sense of humor through all this? First, if you look at com comedians of the world, the Jews are first, really. So it's first a Jewish thing. Second, it's the weapon of the week. When you are really uh, on the losing side, what can you do? You can make fun of the, uh, and, and it works for me. It's a very powerful political tool. If I can digress for a minute, uh, the mayor of Jerusalem, I was, uh, for 14 years, I was a, a head of the opposition to Mayor Olmert. And Mayor Olmert would silence women in various ways. He would uh, first reward women for being quiet, like he would say, oh, Aviva, you lent some respectability to all this circus here. And she said nothing, all the meeting. Thank you for being here, the only respectable person, the only person with dignity. And the more he would compliment her for not saying much, uh, she would say less. And while I was documenting it, I found myself saying to my own daughter, what a good girl you were. You didn't say anything at the time. At the pre, you know, when we visited guests, you didn't say anything. That's so good. So, yeah, we silence our own, too. Uh, there was another woman who had a very high-pitched voice, particularly when she was upset. And he would say, what is this squealing? What is this squeaking? What are you, a turkey? What's going on here? This is stereo. I can't hear this voice. Comments about her voice. Oh, I studied 48 meetings of the City Council of Jerusalem, and I counted lines. How many lines a woman spoke before she was interrupted? And then I was, they were, he called me names. Uh, I was Yente, Klafte, Kachke, Mechashefe. These are all Yiddish terms for a hag and a duck. And uh, there was one woman who spoke the most in our council, 18 lines before first interruption on the, on the average. And she would self-deprecate. Oh, I'm a stupid girl. I don't remember anything. Can anyone explain to me what we're talking about? This was highly rewarded because the mayor would immediately say, oh, no, you're not stupid, I'll explain. And uh, she wasn't interrupted. Well, when I uh, publicized this study, um, and I sent a copy to his wife and to everyone in his party, <laughs> and uh, this was a, everyone laughed at him, and he said, stop doing this, you're just helping her. But after that, he quit this. There was nothing to document. He would say, if I say what I think, she's going to start writing it down. So you figure it out yourself. <laughs> and it turned out to be a very powerful tool. To, I think he wasn't aware himself that he has those patterns of silencing women. And once he was made fun of, and I think feminists should, that's why I digress, feminists should resort to humor. It's, a very, it's better than this finger.
this this doesn't work so well. Kelly, yes. Well, I, I want to start by saying that I'm very impressed and everything you've said really makes a lot of sense and, and I was very happy to hear you but then I see outside you have this book that that hurts me because if if it's associated I started reading this and it says online racist incident against Arabs in Israel and it looks like it's very one-sided because there are a lot of racist Arabs against Jews in Israel and I was thinking oh I should donate I should be and I'm reading this and suddenly it's like very, very left-wing, the kind of left, left-wing that hurts Israel. So if you separate between what the Orthodox are doing to the women, which I think is bad, and there's a lot of, I'm Israeli, I've lived in Israel most of my life, and, um, and I, it bothers me, it bothers me everything that has to do with the, I can tell a funny story, I lived in Canada for eight years with my husband, we're Israeli and we're from a kibbutz, and when I was in Canada I felt, I really want to light Nerot uh, Shabbat, you know, my grandmother used to do it and I felt away from Judaism, so when I came to Israel to visit I wanted to buy a mezuzah, and my mother-in-law freaked out, <gasps> You're, you're going to be a religious fanatic in Canada. And I said, no, I want the mezuzah on my door. And I want." And she actually freaked out. She lived on a kibbutz. And it was like, oh, no, you're going to turn my son into a religious Jew. And, and it was like really scary. And I tried to explain to her, no, 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 I'm not going to be religious. I just want the mezuzah on my door. And I want to light candles. Because it scares a lot of uh, Israelis, exactly what you said, um, that it's like, they're going to conquer you. And because I know, for example, my mother, her boyfriend, his daughter, Chazra Betshuva, she became religious, and she doesn't even visit her father anymore. Because, and, she, and she doesn't let her grandchildren see him because he is not religious enough. Oh, I got well, the about this? It bothers the me. Question, uh, yes, the question, uh, the religious action center that I work with, that I direct, is fighting for a Jewish liberal voice in Israel. And uh, we are fighting rabbis who are racist. There are not many of them. There are about 1,500 rabbis in Israel who are state paid. And I would say that six of them are racist. That is, they incite for violence against Arabs. And uh, I lodged many complaints against them to the uh, attorney general and to the police, over 500 complaints. And uh, these rabbis are not being fired and not being silenced. However, Qadis and Imams, Muslim leaders, who incite against Jews, they, the full force of the law is being applied. They go to jail. They lose their jobs. Even individual Arabs that incite against, against Jews, one student six weeks ago was sentenced to nine months in prison for writing stuff in his Facebook. So someone is documenting incitement against Jews in Israel. It's the state of Israel. And I want the same state to enforce the same on racist rabbis. I remind you that the person who assassinated our prime minister 20 years ago is a religious Jew observing 612 of the 613 mitzvot. And he assassinated the rabbin. And the rabbi that inspired him is still talking and inciting. And I think it's a Jew, the most important Jewish thing to compile this and to say enough. Racism is not the Jewish way. You know that in, our, in the Bible, the great Shabbat, that is the big reason why most governments in Israel fell for religious reasons, they fell because someone didn't observe the Shabbat, the prime minister drove on Shabbat, the minister walked on Shabbat, did something on Shabbat, he ate shrimp on Shabbat. <laughs> 
but the doing right by the minority is mentioned 36 times. You should, it's always in the same form. You should do right with the minority because you are a minority. They cry out to me and I will listen to them as I listen to you when you are in Egypt. It's always the same. Now, I'm a mother of a teenager. And I know when I have to say something 36 times. It's when it's absolutely counterintuitive. Like, pick up this laundry. I don't want to come back from Canada and have a mountain of laundry <laughs> up to the ceiling. Do your own laundry. 36 times. It's counterintuitive. It's very hard to understand. I am proud that the reform movement is the only Jewish voice in Israel today saying that racism from state-paid rabbis has got to stop. And yes, this report is only racism in the internet. The next report is going to be how the state enforces it on Arabs and doesn't enforce it on Jews. And I am actually an obstacle in the in the way to apartheid. Because apartheid is defined as that country that has a separate system of law for one and a separate system of law for another. And I will want to stop that. So this is not an obstacle for us. We'll do, uh, we'll do two more questions. I hope Manat has the koyach for it, and then we'll wrap up our evening. Hi. I heard what you said about the partitions. I want to ask you how you feel about the physical partition that is there and the fact that the uh, plaza in front of the Kotel is actually a synagogue, an orthodox synagogue without a roof. The uh, Kotel is not a synagogue. It is the holy site for the Jewish people. It is a national site. It's an archaeological site. It's a religious site, and it should be open to all. And it should be up to the same declaration of independence without discrimination of gender or race or anything. I think we've gone off the deep end. When the rabbi of the wall asked the pope to take off his crucifix, he said that this is offensive to the feelings of others. When we were arrested, I actually spent a few you know, nights in jail for wearing a talis, for saying Shema Yisrael. It's very interesting. My cellmate was a Russian woman from uh, Siberia, a Tatarian, 25-year-old. She spoke no Hebrew, I spoke no Russian. She asked me, what are you in for? <laughs> I say, you see this talit? I pray in a place you're not allowed to. That's why I'm here. She says, are you pussy riot? <laughs> So uh, the reason I uh, have a criminal record is because I broke few times a 13th regulation of the law of holy places. The law of holy places states anyone performing a religious act contrary to local custom which offends the feelings of others is punishable by one year imprisonment. Anyone performing a religious act contrary to local custom. The reason we won after 25 years in court is that we were able to show that the state has never given the authority to anyone to, to, to define what is local custom. And being there every month in the intifada, in the snow, in the pregnancy for all these years, we are now local custom.
So you've said that 1,500 um, Orthodox rabbis are paid by the state. So do you have any influence or right to try and change marriage laws in, uh, in Israel? So, so, so first other I must say, uh, 1,510. Okay. 1,500 ultra-Orthodox rabbis with a beard and 10 reform and conservative rabbis. We won a case, the Miri Gold case. Maybe she was here and you know her. Miri Gold is the first non-Orthodox rabbi to receive a state salary. That took seven years in court. And uh, now we're in court with other rabbis. We're hoping to get neighborhood rabbis recognized, etc. No, the changing in the marriage laws is going to be a very difficult thing. 17 times we have brought to the Knesset a new law of freedom of choice in marriage and divorce in Israel. Every time we had more members of Knesset supporting, but we have not yet reached our goal. More and more Israelis want to see changes. Between 85 and 95% of Israelis want to see a, a civil marriage, civil divorce in Israel. If you haven't watched the movie Get, you should watch it. It would yank your heart out. It would teach you what's going on. It's very difficult. Uh, the Israelis are not yet, the rabbis are not ready yet to relinquish their control. But what do Israelis do? They escape. 15% increase in the number of Israelis who flee Israel to get married. It's a basic human right. They have to fly away. I wrote a book called 50 Ways to Wed Your Lover. It's out of print. Israelis are getting married everywhere. My own son got married in Larnaca. He and his Jewish wife, and next to the deputy mayor of Larnaca, under a big picture of the Archbishop of Cyprus and a big cross, they got married. He, the guy spoke a lot of uh, Greek. Then he gave them a little uh, keychain that says Mazaltov on it. <laughs> and then they went to a restaurant. The whole rest menu is in Hebrew. And they flew to Israel. And they are there considered a married couple. This Goyen Lamaka can officiate in the marriage between two Israelis. And Dan here cannot officiate in the wedding in Jerusalem. He is not recognized as a rabbi in Israel. He can't do it. That is outrageous. This is chutzpah. We got to do something about it, and uh, it's on the menu. If you sign up, you'll see. We have uh, we have uh, work on that. Anat, thank you so much. So often, thank you so much, so often we feel powerless in the face of these things and Anat has shown us by her own actions, by her own chutzpah, that we are not powerless. We may not be able to sue the Israeli government 60 times a year, more than once a week as she does, but we can sign up for her newsletter, we can lend our name to the petitions and to the emails, and to make all of that possible, you can support the work of Artsa and the Religious Action Center of the Reform Movement. So I asked you at the beginning to think about the experience, and now write a check for how you feel. Again, this is not, this is not a fundraiser. All this money is going directly to Anat and her work. But if you are moved today, then I invite you, please, to do some sadaka, to send Anat back to Israel with the resources to continue the fight that she is fighting. Thank you so much for coming tonight. We hope that you'll join us again for other programs. Laila Tov.